Have any of you ever sold anything online? I don't look for a show of hands, but many of you have, right? Well, my wife Janie and I are consolidating two households into one. <sighs> That's a big order when you consider that between Janie and myself, we have almost 100 years of marriage and household experience, even though we've only been married since February of this year. Now, of course, that only means we don't have any excuses for messing up our new marriage to each other. And we're not planning on that, by the way. Well, in this consolidation process, Janie and I have been sorting through a lot of stuff, much of which is duplication, as well you can imagine. And that means we've been giving or selling a lot of things over the network, whether it's Craigslist or eBay or whatever it happens to be. And one of the rather disappointing discoveries that we've made is how many folks don't keep their word. They say they want the item or will be over to get it or even make appointments, but they don't show up or don't even call to say they're not coming. Rats! And this has happened over and over again to us, so it's, it's not just a fluke. And it kind of makes one lose trust in our fellow human beings. So what's the question for us this morning? What is your word worth? How good is your promise that you make? You say what you intend and then do it? Are you dependable when it comes to following up on commitments made? Well, today we are celebrating Confirmation Sunday. We're recognizing a major step in the lives of these seven young men and women, as they publicly stated last night, their understanding and belief in the triune God as they promised faithfulness to Jesus Christ. It was marvelous last night to hear these. I even heard a couple of sniffles, and I had a few myself. Just, you guys did a marvelous job, very profound. Can't wait for the next guys coming up next year, and those following, to hear what they have to say. But it's wonderful, because they are joining this great throng of people who have gone before the saints, we call them. Saints are not, by the way, saints are not extra holy people. Not at all. That's not what it's talking about. When we use the word saints, what we mean is a forgiven sinner. So if you are a forgiven sinner, you know what that makes you? A saint. And the folks we recognize today are those that have gone before us who have confessed their faith and lived it out. Well, this is a, a big day for these seven young men and women. They're stating for themselves confirming the promises and vows made on their behalf at their baptism, many of them right here at this altar. Promises made by their parents and godparents, many of you who are here today. And today, they are stating for themselves their belief about God and the Christian faith. And I say to all of you, we're proud of you, and we're thankful for you. Your willingness to confess publicly your faith now, when we talk about confirmation, that's, that's a man-made word. That's not in the Bible anywhere. But it's, it's a marvelous concept and has been used for hundreds and hundreds of years. And confirmation, at least for us here in the Lutheran Church, and Zion particularly, it focuses on two parts of our Christian faith. First, the individual's knowledge and understanding of God and his love for mankind. Who is this God? And looking at the Bible and history and so on. And secondly, confirmation instruction focuses upon the individual's willingness to commit publicly, so no matter what comes or what may happen in their lives, that his or her intent 
remains the same, that is, to be faithful and committed to our triune God. That's what confirmation is all about. About three and a half years is what we do, not counting Sunday school before that and not counting what they do at home with you, the parents and godparents. Well, the promises that are going to be made in just a moment, they're heavy-duty ones. They're big deals. It's not something light. I want you to listen to some of those promises that are going to be made. And if you've been confirmed, you made these promises yourself. We're going to ask, Pastor Dan's going to be asking this, do you this day in the presence of God and of this congregation acknowledge the gifts that God gave you in your baptism? Okay. Second, do you renounce the devil? Okay. Do you believe in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do you intend to hear the word of God, the Bible, sermons, worship, receive the Lord's Supper faithfully? Number five, do you intend live according to the word of God, talking about the Bible, and in faith, word, and deed to remain true to God, even to death? And then number six, do you intend to continue steadfast in the confession and church and to suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from it? How's your jaw? Die rather than renounce Jesus? You've got to be kidding. That question is really going to be asked today of you? Yes, it is just as it's been asked for years and years. Well, it kind of puts a new perspective and seriousness about making a promise, doesn't it? It's not like buying something on Craigslist and you just don't show up because you don't want to. And so what we have to ask, and I'm, hopefully I know we've talked about this did last night and otherwise through your confirmation years, do you really want to say, I promise? Well, this morning, my friends, I want to encourage and then challenge not only these young folks. Actually, I want to encourage and challenge every one of you folks who have ever been confirmed in the past to do several things. One, strive to keep your promises to God and your fellow man. You notice I said strive. I'm not acknowledging or saying that you're going to be absolutely perfect. You won't. But strive for it. Secondly, to be folks of integrity and courage. Do what you say and mean what you say. Thirdly, to strive to be courageous in the faith of a changing and seemingly increasingly hostile culture. And then to maintain high godly moral standards. Godly moral standards, not the world standards. Rather than giving in to the changing cultural values, which is being today touted as, quote, normal. It's not. Remember the movie The Wizard of Oz? Sure you do. I've seen that thing so many times, I'm guessing you have also, and probably you can recite the words to go with it, and you want to march down that yellow brick road and go see uh, Dr. Oz himself, not the Oz on TV. Now, I've enjoyed that movie over and over again. I especially like the, the, some of the primary characters. I love that cowardly lion and his little counterpart, the courageous dog, Toto. Remember Toto? Oh, isn't he cute? Not really. He's actually a kind of ugly dog. <laughs> but what a dog he is. You know, I have to admit that every time I see that, I too often relate and act more like that cowardly lion when confronted by something scary. When scared, what does a cowardly lion do? 
He twirls his tail while whimpering and then try and hide out of fear. What does this little dog do? What does Toto do on the other hand? Even though not very big or powerful, he stands his ground as he tries to protect Dorothy. I like Toto, even if I don't think he's pretty. So my challenge to you today, my friends, is pretty simple. Be a Toto. Be a Toto. Now, I don't think I'm too far off when I say we're living in a major cultural shift in our country. There are now more folks in our country today who do not claim to be part of any Christian congregation than folks who do. Man, that's a shifting of culture in and of itself. And I believe we're living in a world that's become even more resistant, resentful, even down, downright hostile towards Christianity and its followers, Christians. You know, what's considered now, today, as normal? Okay, this is normal. This is what culture is telling us. By an ever-increasing number of folks in our country, far different from when it was when I or maybe you were kids or younger adults, not that many years ago. In fact, claiming to be a Christian today and trying to follow Christianity's fundamental views and values has now taken on a much greater risk. Jobs are being affected. You watch the news, people are getting fired for touting Christian values. School admissions are being affected. You can't get into certain schools or they throw you out if you say that you believe in, in godly Christian values. Personal finances are being affected. They've got this new scale in the banks that if you don't follow it, you don't get the loan or get the relationship. Relationships are being strained as more and more families are pulling apart. It's becoming more common to hear about negative ramifications of being uh, doled out because uh, Christianity, relationships and all have been strained uh, because a Christian individual states his or her beliefs and moral viewpoints. Christian moral viewpoints such as marriage used to be pretty simple. That is, being defined as between one man and one woman. Or stating the concept of sexuality where a guy born a guy, a boy, was considered a boy, and a gal born a girl was considered a girl. Or individual responsibility. It was expected rather than being blaming someone else for my problems. You know, such traditional and centuries-old views about marriage and family and responsibility are now often considered radical and even downright harmful to society and should not be tolerated by more and more folks. Scary! Now, am I off base in my observations about the state of our culture? I don't think so. So with this perspective in mind, I want to challenge and encourage each of you here today who claim Jesus Christ as your Lord to do two things. Number one, do what you say you're going to do in life and be willing to pay the price of faithfulness. Catch that last part? Be willing to pay the price because you will. And secondly, be willing to forgive those who've wronged you. Forgiveness doesn't seem to be a thing in favor nowadays. It's get the guy, tear him out, throw him away. So, do what you say you're going to do. I came across a, a, a guy, I didn't really know much about him, but this bishop, and I don't know how to pronounce this, Elvin Berggrove, you Norwegians, 
you can correct me on all that stuff, but he was a great Norwegian Lutheran churchman during World War II. And he was kept a prisoner under heavy Nazi guard during the war. And history talks about him as his witness being so effective and his deeds and words of love so compelling that his 11-man guard was constantly changed because the Nazis were afraid that this guard would be coming under this strong spiritual leadership. And Leighton Ford, he talks about another man. His name was Godfrey Azimensa. Uh, he's a great African church leader. Azimensa was brought to faith by a missionary. And the missionary was the headmaster. He was the principal, the head guy at a mission school that Godfrey attended as a young man. Well, the first thing that Ozzie impressed Ozzie Mensa about the headmaster was that he called Ozzie by name. No big deal. Well, it was. Because Ozzie said that most of the English never bothered to learn their African names. You see, you have to care about somebody before you bother to learn his or her name. I mean, every successful salesperson knows that. Well, one day the boy Godfrey went to a Bible class that <clears throat> the headmaster, the principal, was conducting. And Godfrey was, he was a shy boy. And entering into the room, he found it full. No place to sit. So Godfrey turned and started to slip out, but the headmaster noticed him. And he said, come here, and gave him a chair to sit on. Oh, Godfrey wrote later, to my utter mortification, the headmaster then sat on the floor. Ooh. And then he wrote years later, those two simple acts of Christian love impressed Ossimensis so much that they led him to Christ. Well, years later, Ozzy saw this headmaster in England and told him what his action meant to him. And interestingly enough, the headmaster didn't remember those actions. I mean, they were so simple, so unconscious, so natural for one who was an earnest disciple of Jesus Christ. That the headmaster didn't even realize the impact he had. Now, those of us who are here this morning are here because of the Christian faith in one fashion or another. Whether you actually believe it or not, it's another story. But you're here because of Jesus. Now, few of us, I would guess, stand out in a crowd. Our influence is often very small. Our talents may be far from extraordinary. We don't have the power to keep ourselves secure. We don't have money to buy our way out of trouble. We often feel like losers. Well, friends, when trials and enemies come, we're helpless and afraid. We often feel like losers. But Jesus said, if you follow him, you're going to have trouble in this world. Well, I don't want to hear that. Don't give me that. I want to live happily ever after. Well, Jesus was right, wasn't he? Because he understood and still does understand that your struggle to do the right thing, the godly thing, when I say right thing, I don't mean what the society is saying is normal and right. I'm saying what God says is normal and right. He really means it. Because he sees the enemy scheming and lying and tempting you to sin. I mean, he experienced those things himself, didn't he? He knows the world hates you for loving him. Even so, he says in Matthew 10, 29 to 31, don't be afraid. I like that, don't be afraid. Because we often are. And he goes on, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. But don't be afraid. Why? You're worth more than many sparrows. 
You are his treasures. Not only the seven of you here this morning, but each of us. You're his treasures. Chosen, loved, bought with the price of his life. Jesus died just for you so that you wouldn't have to. And that means whatever testing and difficulties you may be experiencing in life, they may indeed build your faith and endurance. You may not like it, but it can be a good thing. And in all of it, he's working for your good. Like when your parents say, you'll thank me someday. Okay? Confirmation is going to be one of those. You parents, hopefully you get that today. Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Grandma. Thank you, Godparents, for what you did for me. They did last night. I'm very proud of them for that. It gets better as they get older. He's working for your good. And he promises to strengthen you and comfort you until the end. Now listen to this directive from Jesus himself and make it a foundation for your life choice. John 14, 27. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You notice that's not a question. That's a statement and a directive. Don't. Well, finally, my friends, be willing to forgive those who have wronged you. Let me ask you this. What's your attitude towards revenge? Recognize that look on her face? <laughs> Drawn to it rather easily? Yeah. There's a story about a middle-aged woman who was in a bookstore. And she was, she was not very pleasant that day. A foul mood, in fact. Taking it out on one of the clerks. And she accused him of never stocking the books she wanted. Always being out of the current bestsellers. Well, the poor clerk, I mean, trying to maintain his composure, asked her, well, ma'am, What's the title of the book you wish to purchase? And she answered kind of snippy. How to remain young and beautiful. You know where this is going? The clerk with a rather sarcastic smile on his face answered, Very well. I will place your order for how to remain young and beautiful at once, and I will mark it urgent. I think most of us can appreciate that very basic human emotion, can't we? I want you to compare that clerk's attitude with that of a true story of a lady in Florida who was raped, shot in the head, brutally mutilated, and left to die. Ooh. Astoundingly, she survived the ordeal, but her head wound left her permanently blind. And in a television interview, the host was reflecting on the bitterness she must feel because of the unhealing scars she would have to deal with the rest of her life. And her astounding response was something to this effect. Oh, no. Oh, no. That man took one night of my life. I refuse to give him one additional second. Yeah. Now, most of us are not as wise as that lady. It's very difficult for us to identify with Jesus praying on the cross on behalf of those who put him there. So, my friends, the question for us today is simple. What's the quality of your witness? What's the quality of your witness? As the mob stoned Stephen to death, Stephen, the first person killed some 2,000 years ago because he was a Christian, his garments, were told, fell at the feet of one Saul of Tarsus, later to be called Paul. And Saul gave his approval of that act of brutality. Yeah, stoned the guy. Well, many feel that integrity of Stephen's witness, the way he lived and the way he died, his willingness to pay the ultimate price for his faith and his ability to forgive those who persecuted him must have had an impact on Saul. In fact, it would be most surprising if such were not the case. Because very few conver conversions 
occur in a vacuum. Stephen was faithful. He was a toto. And we suspect his influence helped shape the greatest missionary that Christendom has produced, the Apostle Paul. Well, I wonder, could somebody find Christ because they stood and observed a significant moment in your life? Thankfully, it does happen. It did happen, Stephen and Paul. You confirmants? And to each of you facing the challenge of remaining faithful to God, may that same Holy Spirit who gave Stephen the courage to be a faithful witness for Jesus give you the strength and courage to be a faithful witness for your Lord's life. Amen.